to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. On this episode, we dig into many things prospect-related. we got a big promotion in Kansas City to talk about. We have a prospect healthy again in Texas, getting an opportunity. Someone who debuted a few weeks ago and landed on the IL and is now playing again. Uh, the Rays had a guy go up and down who I think is kind of interesting in the long run for deeper keeper leagues. Maybe not someone you're going to stash in redraft formats. Saw a really odd pitching line from a young starter in Boston on Monday night, so we'll talk a bit about that. Of course, we'll have some injury updates, level changes, a few trending players, and a level roundup. I think last week when Ian Kahn stepped in for Al, we got a little carried away with a couple things. At the top of the rundown, we didn't get to the level roundup. Fortunately, level roundup for low A is always a good time and comes with some pretty big long-term questions to get to on this episode as well. So we begin with the big promotion. Vinny Pasquantino up for the Royals. He should debut on Tuesday night. So perhaps by the time many people get a chance to listen to this episode, he will have made his big league debut. And of course, that decision followed the Royals making a trade with the Mariners to send Carlos Santana to Seattle. Alec, this is a simple question. How far down in terms of shallow leagues can you think about Vinny Pasquantino at this point? The minor league skills have been very interesting, consistent power everywhere, and a really low K rate, even at the highest level of the minor leagues, which kind of points me in the direction of saying he might be a universally rostered player sooner rather than later. Yeah, he. I think he could be. I think he should be because everything that you just talked about, the, the low uh, strikeout rate, uh, the high isolated power, uh, good batting averages, every step he's just maintained that progress. Uh, every step he's had a WRC plus that you know, puts him well, well above uh, league average. And on top of that, uh, great plate discipline, uh, very high walk rates at every step uh, along the way. So... You still figure there's got to be some drop off, but I, I look at the projections and uh, the bad X is probably the least optimistic. And uh, they've got Pasquantino with a 251 batting average, 173 ISO going forward. I, I mean, I don't really expect that. Uh, there's always the risk that that or even worse could happen. But I think again, this is you know something that we say a lot when we talk about 10 team leagues that it is easy. It's really easy to churn because there's always good, useful players on waivers. So, you know, if uh, Pasquantino just has much less erosion from his AAA numbers, a 280 average, uh, a 296 ISO, um, then, then he is somebody who should be starting just about everywhere. Not yeah. just not just being rostered, but starting just about everywhere. And I think it's, he's worth the risk. And, you know, three weeks from now, if it doesn't pan out, you can find uh, a, a suitable replacement easily. Just looking at some of the scouting reports on him going back to you know, preseason time, draft season time for us as fantasy players. Keith Law at The Athletic had a line in his write-up on Pasquantino. It's patience without passivity and pole-to-pole power and to project him as a possible regular first. He hasn't shown a platoon split, even though he's a left-handed batter. I mean, what's not to like in, in that? I think it's the type of profile and the type of player that people will always try to temper their enthusiasm for in the minors because Vinny Pasquantino was an 11th-round draft pick, and as a first baseman, as a first-base prospect, you have to hit a lot to come to the big leagues, be an everyday player, 
and keep that job. But he's shown us every possible skill we could really ask for so far as a minor league player. I mean, I think back to the pie in the sky sort of expectation. And I say, well, what was Paul Goldschmidt like as a prospect back in the day? Because he was an unheralded, he was an eighth round draft pick way back in, in 2009. I think he was out of Texas State or it wasn't a, a you know, D1 powerhouse program or anything like that. And all he did coming through the minor leagues as a member of the Diamondback system was hit. And he even skipped AAA entirely. So, I mean, not a perfect one-to-one sort of comparison, but sometimes these players that go a bit later in the draft that have this sort of ordinary master profile initially end up being extraordinary players. And there's at least a chance with Pesquintino that is what he could become. So I'm with you. I think a 10-team league is viable if it doesn't work out, obviously, you can turn that spot in a couple of weeks and and move on. And I mean, the Royals should give him everyday playing time. They should have an opportunity for him in the heart of the order as well. So I think you're talking about run production that also goes with uh, what you're expecting from a player that you'd roster in that format. Yeah, and, and that's a, a point that I definitely wanted to talk about was his place in the order, because obviously when you, when you say what's not to like here, the one thing that you probably wish was a better environment, uh, both, both in terms of the venue and in terms of the lineup around Pasquantino, but if he is batting fourth, fifth, uh, then he's right up there with Whit Merrifield, Andrew Benintendi, Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez. And by the way, I mean, think about that core of the lineup for years to come of Witt, Melendez, and Pasquantino. So that's kind of exciting. So I think, uh, you know, if he does start out hitting seventh or eighth, which wouldn't really be surprising to me, then maybe you're you're not starting him right away. But if in weekly leagues where you're, you know, typically adding on a Sunday night, you've got this whole week to see how, how that's handled. Uh, hope, hopefully he goes right to the heart of the order. Kind of an optimal scenario in weekly leagues with Sunday moves if he wasn't already picked up in the last couple of weeks. I know in certain instances, Vinny Pasquantino was already snuck onto rosters at some point in the last six weeks or so because it seemed inevitable he was going to debut. It was just a matter of time when they would move on from Carlos Santana and how they'd move on from Carlos Santana. So let's talk about a few other players, though, who are getting opportunities or have had opportunities recently at the big league level. Josh H. Smith is the Texas infielder that I want to bring up. There's more than one Josh Smith in the player pool on most league commissioner services, so the H is sort of important in this case. Uh, Smith debuted a few weeks ago, quickly went on the IL, and has now recently returned. And He seems to be getting regular run uh, with Ezekiel Duran getting sent down. A little surprised that the Rangers sent Duran back to the minors as quickly as they did, but with Smith, I mean, I think it's a little more speed than power and pretty good OBP skills, and I think what I'm starting to look for more often now when I look at players who run in the minor leagues is I'm trying to make sure that they they hit this sort of minimum power threshold to where they're going to get to the big leagues and not simply have the bat knocked out of their hands. I think a, maybe a recent example of someone that has struggled would be Vidal Brujan. And you kind of think, mm-hmm. okay, like, where is that cutoff in the minors? And I don't know where exactly it is, but in this case, I'd be looking at ISOs. And with Josh Smith, Ever since high A, he's kind of been in the 130 range with his ISO. So I think there's going to be some question as to just how effective he is as a big league hitter. And that's ultimately going to determine whether or not he gets opportunities to steal bases for us consistently. Yeah, well, we're on the same page as far as uh, looking for that power speed combination. And 
that uh, ice, that level of ISO that Josh H. Smith has been showing is kind of right on the borderline for me. I definitely don't want to see anything sub 100 because then I start thinking like Billy Hamilton. But um, yeah, not a lot of strikeouts, a good OBP, like you mentioned, uh, high walk rate. In fact, uh, in the, the very short time that he had spent with the Rangers, uh, both earlier and, and now currently, he's walked more than he struck out. So that's always encouraging. You figure that he can uh, maybe stay in the neighborhood of the 292 average that he's got because he's got the speed to leg out some infield hits and make a lot of contact, uh, which which always helps. So yeah, I think as long as you're not expecting much power, maybe not many RBIs, um, he could maybe score some runs because he is leading off on occasion. But uh, yeah, I think as long as you understand that you're getting somebody who could be a, a big contributor in some categories, but not others. Uh, I, I think Smith is, is really viable in 14 teams and deeper. Yeah. I think the, the tool I like to use for something like this, I've talked about it a few times on this show is the Fangraphs uh, minor league leaderboards. They call it the board. There's a few different tabs there. You can see their prospect rankings. You can see the scouting reports, but it's the MILB leaderboards that are really sortable. And I think, as Smith goes, it's right on the borderline. A few players that over the years have been kind of similar in terms of uh, of their ISOs in the minor leagues and have gone on to be at least still interesting players or productive big league players. I mean, Cabrian Hayes was in a, a 150 ISO. He was young for the level, and I think you can see some evidence in, in him that he'll develop a little more power, of course, as he spends time in the big leagues. I think Andres Jimenez had some issues you know, with, with pop in the many of his minor league stops that's something that i think is taking a step forward for him this year so it's not impossible i just think it it does bring down the ceiling a little bit on a player when the power is as light as it's been for smith but definitely an interesting name getting a chance with the rangers right now another player that i think is pretty interesting he's back in the minors to getting sent to durham on sunday is jonathan aranda he's a First baseman in the Rays organization, but he's really just one of those guys that hits and needs a position to call his own. And I don't know if there's going to be an everyday opportunity for him in Tampa Bay this season. Maybe he's the kind of player that ends up getting packaged in a trade between now and the trade deadline. But I believe in this bat. I think he's just another guy. Maybe it's a, a Isaac Paredes 2.0 sort of in my head where it's like, He's going to hit, and I don't really care where he plays because he's going to hit enough to make a difference for me in at least you know, medium-sized mixed leagues once the opportunity comes. So I just think the, the appeal right now is probably limited to multi-year leagues given that there's so much uncertainty about how he fits into the Rays' immediate plans. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it feels a little bit like deja vu because you're saying, well, maybe he could be packaged as part of a trade and feels like we have said that on many, many episodes over the last year and a half about Vidal Brujan. So, and there he still is, but it is a little puzzling to me why Aranda wasn't up for longer because given that neither Brujan uh, nor Walls has really uh, produced a whole lot, at least offensively, that, uh, you know, why not give Aranda a little bit of run at second base? and see what he can do there. I don't think Brandon Lau is going to be back anytime soon. So give him an opportunity. And and I think that that could still come. I mean, there's still a little bit more than half the season left. So uh, I I think, like you said, multi-year leagues, uh, dynasty leagues, uh, a a piece, a a player that maybe could have, you know, certainly down the line would have value, but maybe even a little bit later on this year. 
And first base has become a, a funny position in fantasy over the last few years. I mean, I think it's more top-heavy than it used to be. I think a lot of that is teams mixing and matching at first base a bit more often with platoons. That cuts into playing time volume, uh, cuts down the counting stats as a result. And I just think the threshold for being a, a good fantasy first baseman might actually be a tick lower than it used to be. Uh, Ronda's a left-handed bat, so he'd be a big side platoon guy if platoons are a part of his future. And this sort of ties it into the conversation we were having a few minutes ago about Vinny Pasquantino. I'm looking at the earned values from Rotowire for this season at first base for a 10-team league. At, Paul Goldschmidt, of course, running away with it. $53 earned so far in a class of his own. Then you got Pete Alonso at 44 CJ Crone at 32 Anthony Rizzo at 28 Freddie Freeman rounding out the top five at the position at 27. And then the, the next five are Vlad Jr., Josh Bell, Ty France is on the IL right now. There's another drop. And then you get to Ryan Mountcastle and Jerickson Profar, who are at $15 or less. That doesn't seem like an unattainable bar for a lot of guys that come up from the minors that are 40 or 50% better than the league at AAA, especially if they're age-appropriate at the AAA level. So that's part of what I think draws me to players breaking through at this position. I just I don't think there's that much that separates the brand new player coming up from some of the players that are pretty firmly rostered in these formats right now. You go down even further, obviously get to the Rowdy Telez, Christian Walker, Reese Hoskin types. Uh, some of these players lack enough power. Like I think Nathaniel Lowe sometimes comes a little light in power. Or Wilmer Flores. There's a better path than you think to be a good fantasy first baseman. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A couple other names I want to throw at you. Connor Siebold, not really on any top prospect list, isn't really young. Uh, pitched just three innings last year in his only appearance for the Red Sox. Debuted on Monday night for the 2022 season after really pitching pretty well at AAA. A 51-14 to strikeout-to-walk ratio over 51 and two-thirds innings. Only two home runs allowed during his time at AAA Wooster. Still working on my pronunciation there. Good ratios, 209 ERA, even uh, one on the whip. 21 swings and misses against the Blue Jays on Monday night, which is just a weirdly high number. I was running a stat cast search. That doesn't happen very often. Usually guys that get yeah. 21 swings and misses in an appearance are very good pitchers, like really good pitchers. <laughs> uh, this particular start actually unraveled quite a bit in the fifth inning on Seabold, ended up being seven earned runs on four and two-thirds innings. So a really odd line, maybe one of the strangest lines we're going to see all season. He looks more like an up-and-down guy to me. Al, I don't know if I see someone that necessarily sticks on my roster in an AL-only league in this case, but I thought that was a pretty bizarre performance. 
really bizarre. And like right now, I'm just taking a look at how that translates into um, plate discipline ratios. And so you had almost a 20% whiff rate, uh, almost a 40% chase rate. I mean, the, you know, those ratios look really great. I mean, all, if you, you know, thought you were looking at a, a qualified pitcher, you'd think you were seeing one of the best pitchers in the majors. So it's very weird. And yeah, it seems like he's somewhere between uh, maybe the just the absence on prospect lists and, and being sort of obscure in that regard. And um, those kinds of numbers, and, and you look at the minor league performance from the last couple of years, and yeah, it's kind of right in the middle, just a little bit shy of, of a strikeout per inning, decent but not great walk rates, um, you know, kind of, sort of middle of the road in terms of, you know, ground ball, fly, fly ball tendencies. So... He's somebody in a different organization, I think, would deserve a longer look. But it seems like every week, DVR, that we talk about the Red Sox, whether it's in relationship in relation to Brian Bayo or Josh Winkowski, and we always conclude by saying, really intriguing. Where's the long-term role here? And, of course, Winkowski's up right now. He's been really solid. If Bayo gets a chance, I mean... You figure that that's a spot that's going to to belong to him because he's just kept right on going uh, with the promotion from Double A AA to Triple A, and then you've got Chris Sale coming back at some point. So uh, Siebel was was really really good in the AFL in 2019. Went back two years later, was not very good. So maybe you just can't read too much into that. But I, I do think there's something there, and I just think he's maybe in the wrong organization. Yeah, I think of all the ranks I've looked at, I was looking at Keith Law's Red Sox rankings. I think Siebold was 19th going into the season there, so pretty buried on the organizational list that Keith had. I looked at James Anderson's top 400. I don't think Siebold made that big overall list. I did see him inside the top 10 on the Fangraphs organizational list. So there's at least one outlet that sees something in Siebold. I think the consistency you'll see across all the scouting reports, the changeup is his best pitch. The thing that has changed compared to last season, it looks like Siebold picked up a couple ticks in velo on his fastball. He's averaging about 92 this season. He was almost two full ticks below that a year ago. So that gives him a better chance of possibly sticking as a starter. You could actually look at him and say, put him in the bullpen, use him in short relief, give him another couple ticks maybe on the fastball. He goes fastball changeup with the occasional slider and ends up being a bullpen weapon for the Red Sox. So maybe that's where the better short-term future is. But a guy that, depending on what they do with the rest of their pitching, depending on health, depending on the trade deadline, could end up seeing an opportunity for some more innings down the road. Just not much of a a stash in redraft formats right now. More of a last roster spot in a multi-year keeper league sort of player. And maybe that describes the next player we're going to talk about. J.P. Sears getting an opportunity for a spot start for the Yankees on Tuesday. Probably going back down to AAA quickly. We don't know for sure, but you don't really see a regular spot. For Sears and I swear JP Sears is a Nando guy. I don't know if he's already claimed JP Sears as someone he really likes or if, uh, if I'm finally actually remembering something that I should remember, but uh, Sears is putting up great numbers at AAA. A little old for the level, but a 50 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio in 39 and a third innings, mostly as a starter so far this season at AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, I mean, really a, a great year. Maybe, again, another case of another organization that uh, he'd have more of an opportunity. I don't know if he'd be something that the Yankees would somebody that they'd be looking to trade in the next few weeks. Uh, so I think, you know, for, for that possibility or just the possibility of him maybe filling in if there's an injury, uh, that Sears is definitely worth keeping on the watch list. Uh, definitely 
worthy, like you said, even though he's older, uh, worthy of, of st- uh, stashing in dynasty leagues. But in terms of redraft leagues, I don't think it's time to roster Sears anywhere yet, including AL only, unless you just happen to be streaming him this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think he's just uh, a watch list sort of player for me in the long run until the opportunity gets better. A few injury items just to throw at you. Jordan Lawler back in action as of last week. He had a, a growth on his back that cost him some time at Visalia, but fortunately he appears to be healthy and producing again. Uh, Matt McClain is on the seven-day IL at double A right now with an undisclosed injury. So if we get more details on that between now and next week, we will definitely bring that up. He's showing power and speed. 12 homers so far this season, 16 for 17 as a base dealer. The average is a little bit on the low side, but a 349 OBP, certainly encouraging. I think the key for Matt McClain is going to be reducing the swing and miss in that profile. A strikeout rate sitting at 30% at double A is going to lead us to some long-term questions, even though those tools look like they could play up. Yeah, I certainly want to see the the potential for a higher batting average from McLean, but uh, anytime you see that kind of power, it's definitely intriguing. Possible five-category contributor down the road. Uh, the Guardians' top pitching prospect, Daniel Espino, has resumed a throwing program that started up on Sunday. He has been slowed by a knee injury, and increasingly I am of the opinion that the Guardians are probably going to stay cheap and probably bring up some prospects like Espino in the second half as they try and find their way into the postseason. Best way to do it, bring up your young pitching. Don't spend money. Don't give up long-term value. Don't have to increase your payroll. Seems like a win-win-win all across the board for the Guardians, given the way that they like to run things. A couple level changes to pass along. Connor Phillips in the Reds organization. I think we talked about him maybe a month or so ago. He's up from high A to double A. He, of course, is one of the pitchers that the Reds received as part of that Jesse Winker trade. Um, And the Orioles promoting a group of prospects from high A to double A. Kobe Mayo, who always reminds me of our friend Alex Fast, uh, Colton Kowser, and Connor Norby all going up to double-A together. All reasonably aggressive promotions. None of those guys were breaking the league, but I think they were all uh, you know, a tick above league average in terms of WRC+, and all showing pretty encouraging signs here in 2022. Let's get to a few trending players. I think we've talked about Michael Harris a few times on this show, Al. He's up to 76% rostered on CBS, and I think it's just a question of whether the production is going to continue at a level high enough for him to remain immediately valuable in smaller leagues since people seem to be pushing him onto rosters even in the more shallow formats. I think that this should be Harris's roster rate ceiling for this year uh, because I don't see that there's really room for him to do much better. He's sitting 330. That is fueled by a 425 BABIP. I think if you look at the XBA for Harris, which is currently 278, I mean, that's still really good. That's still going to help you with batting average, but obviously not in the extreme way that a 330 average would. So I think that that, you know, 278, somewhere in the 270s range is a pretty good rest of season expectation for Harris. There's, you know, there's, there's decent power and speed there, but I also don't know that he's going to be moving very far up the order given how stacked that that lineup is. So. I, I just don't see much room for, for growth for Harris at this point, and actually a whole lot of room for regression. I think what bodes really well, though, is he's a good defender in center field, and they don't necessarily need him to be a top-of-the-order guy right away or a middle-third-of-the-order guy right away. Obviously, they miss Ozzy Albies. I would expect Atlanta to be in the market to add some kind of versatile veteran type that can play a couple of spots and give them a little bit more 
in the heart of that order. That would not surprise me at all. But I do think with Harris, you're right. I, I would be concerned that the average dips and then until the walk rate gets better, he becomes a little bit of a low OBP guy. With that, the counting stats stay a, a little bit light, even though long-term, the power-speed combo, the defense at center field, it all plays really well. And uh, playing time might be reasonably safe because of his defensive ability. I think it's the way that I would look at Michael Harris right now. Uh, how about Blig Madras in the Pirates organization for now costing Cal Mitchell a roster spot? They sent Mitchell back to AAA. I believe that was on Monday. But yet another Pirate pushing his way into the mix for playing time on this depth chart. And I think this roster might change and then change and then change again once they get to their post-trade deadline call-ups because there's a few things that could change for the, the long term. I mean, Brian Reynolds, I think, is going to be among the more interesting players that could get moved here in these next five weeks. And that would open up a lot of playing time in Pittsburgh. As Madras goes, what's your level of interest in him? And do you think the Pirates are right to get a look at him as opposed to giving that playing time to a younger guy like Mitchell? Well, the, the Pirates have just uh, really played musical chairs lately with, uh, with their prospect call-ups. So I hate to really put you know, too much, uh, too much stock into any one player that's been called up. Obviously, uh, not including O'Neill Cruz. I'd like to think that that he's going to be there to stay, but I don't know if uh, Madras is is going to you know maintain a, a regular role. But I think as long as he is getting the playing time right now and earning it by hitting, that uh, he's absolutely a must roster in NL only leagues. And I think that the longer this goes on that I'm going to start thinking about trying to add him in, in 15 team leagues, because he did have a little bit of a, an uptick in power this year uh, at triple a and um, a decent strikeout rate that so far is translating and um, you could hit for average. And so, so I think there's, there's an opportunity here for, uh, for Madras to, to be a mixed league contributor. Yeah, definitely has a path if that playing time is there. I, You know, when I talked about the Pirates depth chart a little bit on rates and barrels on Monday, they've got to decide to move on from some of the guys that are 27 and 28 years old simply because they can't play everybody. And at a certain point, that next wave, not necessarily your top guys, but your intermediate players, you have just give them enough of a look at the big league level to know if you have something or not. So for them, they're starting to run out of time for players like Josh Van Meter, who just came off the IL. Maybe Van Meter gets traded to a contender to be their last versatile bench player. Or Ben Gamble, who's coming back from the IL scene, maybe he gets traded to a contender to be a fourth outfielder. They have to start making quicker moves, quicker decisions with players like that, just because they've got this group kind of bridging the gap to their bigger wave of young talent. So 15-team league seems about right, but I would not spend a lot because it could be a quick demotion for Madras for reasons that are currently out of his control. Uh, here's a name that you dug up that I had not even really noticed so far this season. David Villar in the Giants organization, a corner infielder, not getting a lot of love right now, but doing some damage in the power department at the AAA level this season. Yeah, uh, and he's somebody that uh, I just dug up doing research for an upcoming prospects column. And I, I'm a little bit curious as to why VR is not getting much interest because you know, we're talking about Madras uh, trending, Madras getting a, a chance at the major league level. Well, he's 26 years old, VR is 25, so a little old for uh, having a big season at AAA, but at Sacramento, 20 home runs already at 274 batting average. 
And, you know, the the problem here is that being in the Giants organization, I could see him getting a chance, but then he just is one more player in there uh, to to mix and match and, you know, maybe get four starts a week, which isn't tremendously helpful. But I think at the very least, he needs to be on uh, on our radar. I, I think that he should be getting stashed in, in a lot more deep leagues. I think he should be getting stashed in, in dynasty leagues, even though he's a, a little bit old for a prospect because, uh, he, you know, he's clearly, uh, I think, pretty close to major league ready. Yeah, and I would kind of file him away for NL only leagues, injury strike, and they're just looking for someone to pick up a few starts per week in that infield. I think they find ways to put runs on the board at an above average clip. The counting stats could exceed expectations in those really deep formats, especially. So I think that's a little more of the sweet spot for me, but I know there are some very deep keeper and dynasty leagues out there where a player like VR is worth picking up right now. And that probably describes the next player that you put on the rundown too, Dominic Fletcher in the Diamondback system, a name that just has not been on my radar whatsoever. I have not been doing deep dives in the Arizona system, but all this guy has done this season is hit. I mean, he has put up great numbers at both double A and triple A. There's a little bit of power. There's a little bit of speed. Clearly good plate skills, a sub-20% K rate, both at AA and AAA. Tearing up AA as a 24-year-old doesn't necessarily put players on the radar, but he's maintained that so far at Reno. We know Reno's a really hitter-friendly environment and a hitter-friendly league, but we're still talking about a guy, about a guy in Dominic Fletcher who is 36% better than league average. I think that's the key number here. It's a level of production that should make him a useful big league player once he gets an opportunity in Arizona. I guess I'm trying to figure out how they're going to make that happen in the short term. I imagine after the trade deadline, depending on their plans for Corbin Carroll, if David Peralta gets traded, there's at least one spot that could be up for grabs. And maybe everyone who's hoping for Carroll, and you can count me among those people, will be a little disappointed when Fletcher possibly gets that chance first. Yeah, uh, and I think another path, too, could be the spot that's currently occupied by Buddy Kennedy, who maybe in his own rights as a a prospect deserves to keep getting a look there. But uh, I like Fletcher's profile a a little bit better, and um, it just doesn't seem like uh, it would be completely unthinkable that they could slide Fletcher into DH or take one of the outfielders and slide them at DH and uh, find him some playing time. But, uh, you know, the Diamondbacks, right, they could be selling at the deadline and, and open up a spot that way. So however uh, Fletcher might get there, I think we could see him in uh, in Phoenix pretty soon. I just would love to see some batted ball data from the minor leagues on Fletcher in particular. Is he hitting the ball harder on a more consistent basis. The BABIP has jumped this season at both levels compared to where it was at AA a season ago, and the K rate has come down from where it was at AA last season. It's been all of last year at AA, 24.8% K rate, 5.7% walk rate. You know that That's just not normally going to play for a 23-year-old. looks like something's very different with him. So if there's anyone out there who has been tracking Fletcher a bit longer, would love to hear from you just to know if there's a swing change or something else that we should be aware of. Uh, Brian Bayo still trending. Not a surprise. Everyone's expecting him to get a chance. As we've learned, the Red Sox have a little bit more starting pitching depth than some of us anticipated. So it may be more of a wait to get Bayo onto your big league roster as a result of how they have used their depth to this point this season. Let's get to our level roundup, Al. I found a bit of a sleeper digging around on the leaderboards. 
Alejandro Osuna, an outfielder in the Rangers organization, left-handed hitter, just 19 years old, will turn 20 in October, has taken a huge step forward this season in strikeout rate. He was at 30.5% last year. He's cut that pretty much in half to 15.3% so far this season. It's a 317-415-472 line, six homers, and 24 steals, maybe the only wart on the steals. He's 24 for 37 as a base stealer, so taking off a lot. Not a great success rate, but enough green lights and enough success overall where I'm definitely excited about him as someone that was nowhere close to any of my keeper league teams going into the season. You could just hope that that success rate is something that he's going to improve. And it's a little bit discouraging that he is repeating Class A and that that success rate has gotten worse. But clearly, there's a lot of speed there with Osuna. And you love the, to see the, like you said, the improvement in strikeout rate and plate discipline and just enough power to make the, the speed that he does have uh, intriguing. He's not totally uh, devoid of power. Yeah, I think if you look at the overall offensive leaderboards, WRC Plus uh, at the low A level across all leagues, especially you want to pair that down to younger players, guys who are age appropriate or younger for the level. Alejandro Ozuna, a 151 WRC Plus this season. It's third among players that are 19 or younger playing an A ball this season. So probably going to start moving up prospect list where he hasn't done so already. Um, but I have a bigger question for you at the low A level, and it's inspired by Jason Dominguez, the the Martian, the you know much discussed outfield prospect in the Yankees system. How much swing and miss can we reasonably accept in the low levels from high ceiling players? And it's not just Jason Dominguez. I mean, we're talking about uh, guys like Carson Williams, who came up on this show at the beginning of the season, former first rounder of the Tampa Bay Rays. And even Marcelo Mayer, I think there's been a little more swing and miss in his profile than some people might have expected during his first run at full season ball this year. If the K rate is in the high 20s, low 30s range, and we're talking about someone that hits the ball very hard, someone that actually runs really well, how much does the K rate bring them down? How much does that sort of steer you away from a player uh, when you're looking at these young guys tearing up low A with this one flaw? Well, it depends on what is in that whole picture. And so you were talking about whether how much power there is and, and how much speed there is. And so uh, if there's more than just raw power there, then obviously I'm I'm a little bit more intrigued if they've got a, a like a line drive heavy profile with some speed and there's some some opportunity for maybe to to, comp, to compensate for the strikeout rate with uh, with a high Babbitt rate, things like that. But just generally speaking for me, 30% is, is a rough cutoff line where I start to get worried, not where I would say it's unacceptable. If somebody's got a 31, 32, maybe even 33% strikeout rate, class A, but uh, I, I, you know, where, where Dominguez is just to cite the example that you cited, I mean, he's been sitting right on that line uh, the last couple of years. So um, to me, it's not too much of a worry, but again, given the other skills that are there, but if that was more like 34, 35%, I'd, I'd be fading for sure. I think the, the other key skill for me is the walk rate. Like if you also have a double digit walk rate, you could be in a situation where there are opportunities earlier in the count to drive a pitch and, Maybe you're taking too many pitches in certain instances. So I don't think every strikeout rate is 
created the same way. I think you can strike out 30% of the time because you've got holes or you can strike out 30% of the time because you're too passive at times. And I think if you don't watch players consistently, especially in the lower levels of the minor leagues, which very few people can, I think you can end up falling into a little bit of a trap. I know Dominguez, in terms of how people feel about him now compared to maybe you know two years ago, there's a pretty big difference in terms of where he's ranked now compared to then. I know there were people at the time that were saying, look, let's see what this guy does in full season ball before we anoint him the next big thing. And I know we love tools. We love players that that have amazing hype videos. We, we love that stuff. That's That makes baseball fun. I think the answer is probably somewhere closer to the middle, whereas people may have been too high on Dominguez two years ago. I think people could be a little bit too low on him right now. Like they, It's too extreme in both directions. I think he's still probably a good long-term prospect. I'm saying that as someone that got him back in a keeper league earlier this season because I just thought, why not? Like, Why not get a peek at what happens with him over the course of this entire season? See if the K rate starts to improve in the second half. See if the power ticks up at all or if the speed continues where it has been. The same sort of argument, I think, would be true of Williams or or Mayer, anybody else that you see in, in a similar situation. I think um, Kevin Alcantara in the Cubs organization strikes out a little less than those guys, 26.9% so far. I wouldn't be that worried about it because he also draws walks. He has a lot of ways to make value. He's got a 227 ISO. I think that's at a level that's high enough where I'm going to trust him to make those adjustments, uh, even though we if you go back and look at historical leaderboards, you don't find a lot of players who struck out this much who then took significant steps forward with plate skills as they advanced. Two pretty prominent examples, MJ Melendez and Austin Riley are among the more recent examples. I think uh, it was MJ Melendez that was striking out about 30% of the time when he was at A-ball, and Austin Riley was at 27.1%. Every hitter adjusts and figures things out at different levels at different times, so... Uh, it's a lot to really think about as you're analyzing these low-level prospects in particular. I want to go to the uh, pitching side for just a moment. I'll throw a sleeper arm out there. Happens to be a brewer. It's not on purpose. It's just the way the <laughs> numbers shook out this time. It's Carlos Rodriguez working at low A so far this season. I saw a scouting report written over at brewerfanatic.com. No, it's not the first page that opens when I open up my browser. Maybe it should be. Uh, but Rodriguez touching 93 with the fastball earlier this season. He's got a low 70s curveball and a changeup. Also did win the one of the minor league pitcher of the month awards in the organization for May. Uh, so really interesting name just because he's got a 29.1% strikeout rate. Doesn't seem to have a major control issue. And that K rate is backed up with a lot of swinging strikes so far this season. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's exciting to see. Um you know, not super young uh, for, you know, 20 year old in, in class A. So uh, maybe I discount that a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, definitely somebody I'm going to be putting on my radar now. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that your, your homepage website is, uh, you know, giving us this, this information. Yeah. As people probably suspect, I make large donations to brewerfanatic.com uh, every single day. No, I, I I appreciate the work they do, and I'm just glad they had a scouting report on Rodriguez because he's a relative unknown for a lot of people. The other player that caught my eye is one that leads to a bigger question. It's Kelvin Ziegler in the Mets organization. I'm sure if you Twitter search him, he is either 
a future ace for the Mets in the eyes of Mets fans or the guy that they can trade and get back like three star players if they trade him today. Uh, he's really interesting. 57 strikeouts in 35 and a third inning so far pitching at St. Lucie. The skills flaw has been free passes over five walks per nine. Um, obviously, it's problematic from a walk percentage standpoint as well, which led me to another sort of historical leaderboard and a question that's similar to the strikeout question for hitters. Where do you start to draw the line with low A walk rates when you're looking at pitchers that can miss a lot of bats like a Kelvin Ziegler? Plenty of weapons, by the way. I was looking at a, a video where he's breaking down his stuff, and I I have no doubts that he has big league stuff in that in that arm. But if you look back at historical leaderboards, you find players that carry... 12% walk rates and higher rarely end up being very good big league starters. Exceptions, of course. There are always exceptions. Dylan Cease, Ian Anderson. Jury's still a little bit out on Ian Anderson, unfortunately, after what's happened so far this season. Tyler Glass now. Zach Wheeler back in 2010. And even Blake Snell. Blake Snell had a 16.3% walk rate back in 2013 working at low A. So, those are the success stories and the list of players that didn't make it as good big league starters, didn't even make it as big league relievers, is quite a bit longer with that skills flaw. I imagine this is a similar sort of thing as the question I was asking you, though, with the hitters. You know, What else do you need to see to be comfortable taking on players with walk rates that are this high? Well, I think just strikeouts, strikeouts, and more strikeouts. And uh, you know, I was uh, reminded of something when you were talking about strikeout rates with hitters and trying to set a, a decision rule in terms of, you know, where where is a rate too high? And I mean, this is probably about 20 years or maybe more than 20 years ago. I had a conversation with John Sickles uh, about how to how to weigh these kinds of stats and, you know, low A or even high A um, and certainly single, single season ball. And his response was basically that. He really discounted the um, the stats in low minors and leaned much more heavily on the scouting reports. So I could take some comfort in that with uh, with a player like Ziegler, um, who clearly has got you know, something going here with this forty uh, percent plus strikeout rate. Um, but you, this, the examples that you cited, Zach Wheeler, I completely forgot was somebody who had a walks issue. Um, Blake Snell was less surprising, but. The magnitude of that walk issue was something I forgot about. Uh, so yeah, there there are examples. Maybe they're the exceptions more than the rules. But when you do have somebody who's got, uh, they're demonstrating a, a really strong ability to miss bats. Uh, I'm I'm willing to cut Ziggler a lot of slack here. Yeah, and again, I'll I'll refer back to you know, some of the stuff that Keith Law was writing at the beginning of the season. Ziggler uh, in the Keith scouting report has a delivery that he seemed to be able to repeat well, which I think many people would look at and say, yeah, okay, that, that's probably not someone who's going to have a major issue locating where he wants to. And to the point that I think you know, John Sickles was making that conversation you had with him a long time ago, there's a lot we don't know about what's happening at low A in player development in terms of individual requests and, and being told to work on a specific pitch or a specific pitch type location or a strategy or, hey, you've got this really good splitter. We know you can throw your splitter, but try to strike guys out with this other pitch instead. You know, there's there's stuff like that that's happening that can also make some of the results a bit misleading along the way. So I could I could pretty easily talk myself into stashing someone like Ziggler in leagues where he's currently available because it's just like the 
well, if he strikes out a lot as a hitter, I want to make sure he at least walks a lot and has some other characteristics. Ziggler has the other characteristics that could make him among the the success stories with this skills flaw. And it, it might even be the kind of thing that by the time you get to high A or double A, that walk rate gets slashed. It could improve dramatically between now and then. And if that happens, what it's going to take to get him in long-term leagues is going to go through the roof because the strikeout rate is great. The results have been very good. And uh, so it's only a matter of time before everyone's going to catch on to just how filthy this guy can actually be. Yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting to watch. And uh, again, somebody who, if he is available, uh, definitely worth getting him on your roster while you watch and see what happens as he progresses through the system. We are going to go. Uh, if you got questions for a future episode, lots of ways to reach us. Twitter is probably the easiest way for this particular podcast. At, at Al Melchior BB is Al's Twitter handle. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months. As Al mentioned earlier, big prospect article coming out about a week from now. So if you want to check that out, you want to check out the stuff Keith wrote back during draft season, waiver wire stuff that Al writes every weekend, all the other features that go up. All the other sports that we cover, you can do that for one low price. Theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast gets you that $1 a month deal for the first six months. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're back with Under the Radar on Wednesday.